Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 83. Drop the beat. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, his blood type is, oh yeah, Pat Flynn. Hey, what up? This is Pat Flynn, and welcome to session 83 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. And this one is a great one because it features all questions from you, the listener. I have a speak pipe page. That's a page that you can go to at speakpipe.com slash patflynn, and you can leave me a voicemail. And uh, every once in a while, I like to put these voicemails into a podcast episode and answer people's questions. Now, SpeakPipe is an awesome tool. They aren't the official sponsor of this particular podcast. Actually, I don't have any sponsors for the podcast, but if I were to have one for this particular episode, it would be SpeakPipe. And I actually do have an affiliate program for SpeakPipe. So if you ever are podcasting or feel the need to collect voicemails from your audience, uh, which is a great way to engage with them and a great way to answer their questions, uh, I would go to, if I were you and you wanted to help me out, you can go to speakpipe, or no, excuse me, you can go to smartpassiveincome.com slash speakpipe, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash speakpipe, and I do want to earn a small commission if you uh, go through there and, you know, tack onto one of their plans. Uh, it's a great tool and um, I just can't recommend it enough. So these are SpeakPipe voicemails coming directly from you and there are a number of them here. So I'm not even gonna dilly-dally here with any sort of uh, you know intro what's been going on except for the fact that I've had the hiccups for quite a while. They just ended two days ago, which is why this podcast is a little late. So if you're uh, if you were waiting for this podcast to come up midweek, uh, I apologize. It's Saturday when this is going live right now. But the reason is because I had the hiccups for five days after coming back from a trip and I had to go get medical attention for it. So I wasn't able to record an episode because I'm not going to edit every seven seconds of an episode out. Um, as all, all of you know, I don't edit these episodes uh, besides the intros and outros or any sort of really big mishaps that happen in the middle of them um, or swearing, of course, if that happens. But yeah, so anyway, that's my excuse. And uh, let's get right to the voicemails. This is the first one from Jared from Australia. Let's, let's have a listen. Hi, Pat. It's Jared here from Australia. Thanks heaps for producing your podcast. I, it's the most valuable thing across the course of my week. Um, I'm always learning something from it, and I absolutely credit you for every success that I've, I've been able to um, have in, recent, in the recent years. So my question is to do with newsletter lists, and through a lot of your help, I've been able to grow my newsletter list, and I'm very conscious about um, the things I send, and that's, again, thanks to, thanks to yourself. Um, however, there are people on my list that would be considered inactive, and my question relates to those people and whether it's worthwhile effectively cutting losses with them and maybe deleting them from the mailing list, or is it worthwhile um, maybe segmenting them onto a separate list and 
effectively having that as an inactive list and trying different means to engage that particular audience with, let's say, you know, a special deal or a welcome back type um, style uh, or we've missed you style email. So, uh, yeah, what sort of advice do you have? Um, should I delete them or should I go down the lines of, of trying to engage them perhaps one more time before I then eventually give them the chop? Thanks heaps and I look forward to continually um, being inspired by the work that you do. All right, Jared, thank you for the question. So it's a great question, actually, and something that I haven't really addressed before. Now, before I move on to answering the question, a lot of you will notice that these voicemails come at varying degrees of uh, quality. And as you can see, Jared was probably in his car or somewhere in a noisy environment when he was recording that. So, you know, I'm not going to apologize for that because that's just the way it is. I mean, so, uh, you know, if you can't understand what the question is, I'm going to always sort of paraphrase what the person might have said or, or asked to make it easier for everybody. But I do want to give people a chance to speak up. And, you know, a lot of these questions are, are great, like this one here from Jared, talking about email lists. And, you know, when you collect email lists or when you collect emails and build your subscriber base, it's always good to purge your list every once in a while. Um, and the reason why you would do that, the reason why you would want to delete people off your list is because you want those inactive people, like Jared was saying, to, to not be on, li- on your list. There's no reason for them to be there uh, because... I mean, first and foremost, you're paying for those subscribers, uh, depending on what email service provider you have. Um, you are paying money for having, you know, the more people you have on your list, the more money you're going to actually end up paying for them. And you want to delete the ones that are inactive. And also another reason is because a lot of those time, a lot of times when you send out emails and you you look at your stats as far as open rates and click through rates, um, you know, the people who are inactive are just throwing that number way off. And so you might as well do what you can to get rid of them. Now, there are a lot of things you could do to clean up your list. And the first thing you can do to do some spring cleaning is to get rid of any email addresses that have bounced. Uh, I'm not going to go into technically how to do that, but bouncing means you are sending emails to emails that don't exist. And so you want to segment your list to see which emails have bounced and then just delete all those email addresses. And that's going to save you a lot of money really quickly. Um, I get a number of bounces every single time and I make sure to go in after each time I send a broadcast to delete those people who have bounced because uh, for whatever reason their email address doesn't work anymore and I don't want to pay for them, obviously. Now, another thing you could do is get rid of the people who have already unsubscribed. Now, what I mean is when you have a list in AWeber and you send out broadcasts or whatever, for whatever reason, people choose to unsubscribe, those unsubscribe email addresses uh, are saved in AWeber. And guess what? You're actually paying for those people who have unsubscribed to hold on to their email address. Even though you don't get to send them emails anymore because they've chosen to unsubscribe, you're still paying for that list. Um, so you want to clean those up as well. And you can see those in AWeber right there. It says with every list that you own, it says how many how many people are subscribed and how many people have unsubscribed. That number of unsubscribed people you are paying for. So Uh, What you'll want to do is you'll want to go into your subscribers section, uh, pull up a list of those people who have unsubscribed, and you want to delete those right away as well. That alone has saved me hundreds of dollars over the course of a couple of years, so make sure you do that. Now, another thing you could do is to get rid of any email addresses that are from role accounts, meaning email addresses like sales at uh, whatever or support at info at reply at and you can you can set up and segment your list based off of those different sort of uh, pre email address parts uh, they, these are email addresses that people use to basically subscribe to your list to get whatever giveaway you have and then to make sure they don't hear from you again basically they're they're like almost junk email addresses junk at um, is another one that you could put in there so those you can clean up as well now as far as cleaning up your email list beyond what we've talked about already there are sort of two approaches uh, that you can take. You can go into your email service provider. Many of them, including AWeber, will let you segment your list. Uh, And this goes along what Jared was talking about. You can segment your list. Find those people who haven't opened an email that you've sent um, since whatever date you choose, maybe up to six months ago, for example. And before you delete them, you want to segment that list and, and send them one last email. You can do that. You can send any segment of your email list uh, this time you're basing it off of when the last email was opened, um, you, you'll want to send one more email address with a subject line that catches their attention. Something like, you know, this is your subject line. I'm deleting your email from my list unless dot, dot, dot. 
And the point of this is to give those people who haven't opened your list for X number of days or months one last chance to say, okay, 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 sorry, yes, I'm here, I'll listen. And you can choose to do that if you want and you know, to give them that last, last chance. Or you can just delete all those who haven't you know, opened your email in the last six months. But you know, it's really up to you. Um, but that'll give you an idea of, okay, maybe there's a few low-hanging fruit that are still there who just didn't feel the need to open your email address anymore. And then in the future, uh, they, they will open your emails. But that's one way to approach it without pinging those who are active and legit subscribers. That, that's the benefit of doing it this way. Or you can do it this way. You can do what I've seen a lot of other people do on lists that I'm actually subscribed to. Sometimes I get emails from lists that I'm on that say, Hi, Pat, I'm doing some spring cleaning on my email list and want to make sure that the list only comprises of people who are active and want the high-quality information that I'm providing or you know something of that sort. Uh, and, and, and then you say, if you want to continue to get emails from me, take this particular action. And that action might be clicking a, a button to you know subscribe to another list or it might automatically do that for them. Again, I'm not going to get into technically how to do that. But you can do that. You can put people onto different lists. And so you're essentially creating an entirely new list of active people who have re-given you permission to contact them. And if I were to do this, um, I would resend that same email to people who haven't opened it the first time a few days later just to make sure they got it. And then boom, that brand new list that you have, that becomes your main list. And that's nearly 100% active. Now, I will say that this method will cut down your email list drastically, the overall number of people who are subscribed to your email list. But, but, but think about it. What kind of email list do you want? Do you want an email list of 100,000 people but only 1,000 are active, um, which you would be paying for a lot of inactive subscribers? Or do you want an email list of 1,000 people and all of them are active? Same amount of people active, you're just saving a lot more money. And the metrics will be much better too. So hope, hopefully that makes sense uh, and, and is helpful to you. Okay, next question. Let's get to Brad Powers, um, who has a three-hour commute to San Diego every day, apparently. So let's, let's hear from Brad. Hi, Pat. My name's Brad, and I started listening to your podcast a couple of months ago, which uh, actually led me to start my first website about six weeks ago. And I've learned so much since then about keyword research, and I'm almost caught up, actually, on your podcast now. But uh, but now that I've gotten this far, I'm actually concerned that since I didn't know anything at the time, I went about this website the wrong way, and perhaps I picked an overly competitive niche with some maybe ill-defined keywords. Anyway, I know that six weeks is nothing. Um, I know that, and I'm prepared to give it way more time, uh, spending some time rounding out the content, doing some marketing finally. And I'm not one to give up easily, and I'm trying to stay positive. But I'm also trying to be laser focused and not start something else before I run this course. Plus, as you said, there's a lot of value even in failing. But like so many others, I don't have tons of extra time for this. I have a wife, three kids, and a three-hour round-trip commute every day um, down to San Diego, actually. And I continue to invest some time, uh, tons of time, my, uh, my precious spare time and even some money into this. Um, so I guess my question to you is, can you provide a little information about maybe one of your failed projects? And when and how did you realize that it was time to finally throw in the towel on that? Thanks so much. Wow, Brad, thanks for your question. It's a great one. And honestly, I don't even know where to begin because I have a ton of failed projects. And uh, hopefully that makes you feel better because I think, you know, part of the entrepreneurial journey is going through those failures. And like you said, they are all there to help you learn what to do next or what not to do the next time. And I also like how you said, you know, you also want to be laser focused and make sure you're working on something that you know is actually going to go somewhere. So talking about one of my failures, I mean, let me just start with one of the first things I did after my very first successful website, which was, of course, Green Exam Academy. The, the next thing I did after that wasn't actually Smart Passive Income. It was another site that I wanted to create called A Couple of Thoughts. Dot com. It no longer exists, but it was a website that I created to co-author with my wife, and we would both, you know, I, I, I just, you know, the, with the success of Green Exam Academy, I discovered how powerful a blog was for reaching an audience and delivering a message and sharing information. Um, my wife and I, you know, got on the idea of creating our own blog together, sort of a couple's blog, because we were going to get married soon, and we wanted to share our experience and then talk about different topics from a male perspective, which is from me, obviously, and then a female perspective, which is my wife. And so that site was called A Couple of Thoughts, and we thought that was a pretty cool name. But we, 
I built the site. I created the framework. I, I had someone custom build the theme to create a sort of a side-by-side um, homepage and uh, with, with her perspective on one and mine on the other and then a central topic in the middle that, that was sort of the topic of discussion for that day or the week or whatever. Um, and we just started writing and we just lost energy and it failed. And I, I had spent you know a, a good amount of money on creating that and a good amount of energy um, put forth into um, building that idea. And once we started writing, it we found out that we just didn't enjoy the process. I mean, it was really hard for us to both write about a certain topic and have it be funny and interesting without getting into a fight. You know, these these types of things. Um, so it, that project just failed. We just we just I don't want to say we gave up on it, but we just we just ended it early because it just wasn't fitting in our lifestyle and and it just wasn't something that we wanted to do. Um, now another project that we ended up doing or not that we, my wife and I, but the, that I ended up doing that failed was, uh, let's see, which one should I choose? Well, a lot of people know about the WordPress plugins that I tried building. I tried to create two WordPress plugins that were based off of needs that I had as a blogger, and I'd spent about $4,000 hiring a developer to create two different plugins, and they were not built the way I wanted it to, and even after spending even more money to get one of the plugins built the way I wanted it to. I was not happy with the end result. It just wasn't something that other people were going to use. It was something that I could have used, um, but when I actually built those plugins and tried to share them with friends and talk about them with people, they they weren't anything that anyone else was interested in. And so I that was a big lesson for me because I learned that I was doing something that... Um, you know, if I initially did some research, I would have really and quickly easily understood that those are things that I probably didn't have to waste my time doing. Now, I will say that in your situation, you know, you're a beginner blogger, you created something and have six weeks into it, which is great. It's fantastic. You took action. So really, really big kudos for you. Um, but it's also great that you're sort of um, maybe not questioning what you're doing, but sort of just wanting to validate your path that you're going down to make sure that you're going to put in more effort in the right space. And I think the most important thing I could tell you and anybody out there who's in that beginner position is you, before you give up on anything or feel like you you might be doing something you're not supposed to do, you need to talk about it with other people. And so my recommend, recommendation to you, uh, Brad, is to go out there and ask people, you know, like me or anybody else out there who might help you, um, if, if, they think you should continue to go down that path too because you definitely don't want to stop early, but you also want the advice from people who have done this before, um, not even in, in the particular niche that you're in, but anyone just who has experience or just to get that sort of third-party um, other set of eyes on it to, to sort of gauge gauge it. And if, if you get an overwhelming response of like, yeah, this is, this is awesome, you just got to keep going for it, then you'll know you'll have validation from your friends and family and coworkers and colleagues um, that this is something you should do. And if you get sort of a reaction that's sort of mixed or sort of on the negative side, like, oh, well, um, I could see why you're starting to get these feelings and why you might think it's a keyword that you might not have initially should have chosen, then that's validation for your thoughts. And it's not just you and, and your, because the thing is, when we work on these projects ourselves, we get so into them, we start to sort of psych ourselves out, um, both in the positive and both in the, uh, both in the positive and the negative. And what I mean by that is in the negative, like you, like sometimes we might be so deep into a project, we might just be frustrated with it. We might not see how cool it is from the outside because we're so deep into it and we're actually working on it. But, but, but in the positive side, we are so deep into our projects that we don't see the reality sometimes that, you know, because we're so deep into it, we are so, um, so excited and we forget about uh you know the, the the logistics of things or what things might look like from the outside that we might be missing because we're so involved so it's really important to get other people's opinions on it and that would be my best advice for you and brad if you wanted to send me an email sometime just through my contact form on smart passive income i'd love to give you my opinion on it and see if it's something um, or at least give you advice on what I feel is, is if it's something that you should continue to do or maybe take a different angle with it. And you know, six weeks into it, if you're feeling like this and you want validation, that's that's a great sign because you are asking all the right questions and I would just keep doing what you're doing and working toward that because all of this, even if this project were to fail and drop and you finally realize that this is something that you shouldn't have been doing, it is a learning experience like you said and you can pivot and laser focus on something else in the future. So hopefully that helps you, Brad, and anyone else out there who is in that position. Okay, the next voicemail we have is from uh, Dana. Dana, take it away. 
Hi, Pat. It's Dana Ryan from DiaperDirt.com. And first, I just wanted to say thank you because a year ago, I did not have my website. And after stumbling upon your podcast, I now have a website, a YouTube channel, and a podcast. So my question for you is about meetups. I know that you do a lot of meetups, and I would like to host some for my community and I'm not really sure how to go about it. So if you have a meetup in a restaurant, do you pay for everybody who comes to the restaurant or do you charge them to come? Also, do you just create an event on Facebook for everyone to join up there and to hear about it? I have a small budget because I am just starting out. So I was hoping you had some tips on how to organize a meetup and also maybe some etiquette during the meetup. Thank you so much for everything you do and for inspiring me, Pat. Bye. Dana, thank you so much for the question, and I I love this question because I love doing meetups, and I'll talk about exactly what that means in just a second for those of you who might be wondering what a meetup is. But before I get to that, Dana, I just want to say, seriously, congratulations and and thank you for taking action. I mean, in a year, you have your website up, a YouTube channel, and a podcast, and guess what happens? You are at a point now where you can bring your community together together physically together in person and uh, and and have a meetup, which I think is so cool. So thank you for that. Hopefully that inspires a lot of you out there. Um, so cool, so cool. Thank you. Now, in regards to meetups, now what are they for those of you who, who might be like, well, what's a meetup? A meetup is something that you set up where you bring people in your community together to just to hang out. And it could be really for anything. I mean, it, it's it's what it is. It's a meetup. You're, you're all meeting up together. And typically, it's done in a place with food and, and, and a place where you can mingle and talk. And I've held at least a dozen meetups in the past. And they are one of my favorite things to do just to, to, to go to a place. And I typically hold meetups in, in, in cities where I'm speaking. And to bring the SPI community together, those people who listen to the podcast or who read the blog or who watch the YouTube channel, to bring those people together in one central place um, who are all like-minded people, of course, because they're all part of the same community. It's just, you know, magic happens. And, and, and it's, it's, it's not just for me to see who my fans are and talk to them and meet them. You know, it's not anything, it's not like I'm creating a, an, an event to become a celebrity and feel good about myself at you know that's not what this is about this is about bringing the community together and creating these amazing connections between people in your community i mean i've gone to meetups before where i uh, i've held meetups before where a day or two later i'll hear back from a number of people who say i think i just met my new business partner or i've gotten so much motivation from the person that i spoke to last night i mean it's not all it's not about me it's about the community i'm just there and i'm the organizer and if you all remember noah kagan from i think it was spi podcast episode 72 and uh, another one of the top three podcasts that i've uh, created so far as far as downloads are concerned and comments uh he said in his episode that he increased his own authority uh when 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 building his name and his brands uh by setting up meetups or conferences you know bringing people together and if you can become the person that brings people together uh you become at that higher authority level and so that's something that happens as a result of creating these meetups and then all the all these connections that are made um and 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 seriously there's nothing like it. i mean from my perspective as someone who who holds these events every once in a while and and that you know they're 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 not super formal they're not like events with signs or you know yeah i don't have people come and scan their tickets or anything but um you know people show up and and i meet them and, and we talk and we just we talk business we talk personal we talk whatever we want to talk about it's just a hangout fun thing to do um and a lot of the talking is not between myself and other people it's, it's between everybody else who shows up together and like i said magic happens when you bring your community together especially in physical places and there's food and sometimes there's drinks involved of course and uh um, it's 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 a good time. It's it's really really a good time. So to answer your question, uh, Dana, as far as technically technically how to do this, how to set it up, and 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 payments and and budgeting and etiquette and things like that, let's get into that because it's really interesting stuff. So my very first meetup I remember doing, I set up as a Facebook event, and that's a great free way to do it. Uh, everybody's on Facebook, it seems, so it's a great way to set it up, and you can send reminders and things like that. Um, you can get the community together and talking to each other in there as well to get them all hyped up for whatever the meetup's going to be and where it's going to be at. Um, and, and that's a great thing to do, but I, I like doing these meetups, or more recently I've been doing them uh, via 
Eventbrite, E V E N T. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm still getting over that cold. Um, e V E N T. Hopefully that doesn't ruin your ears for those of you listening. E V E N T B R I T E dot com. And it's a site where you can go to create an event. And, uh, you know, there are other sites out there which I've been experimenting with. Uh, TicketBud is another one. TicketBud, B U D dot com is an is another good one um they have a flat fee of 99 dollars per event and if you're doing a bigger event where you're gonna charge you know hundreds or thousands of dollars to attend i would recommend ticket but i've been using it it's been doing really well so far for me uh for some of the things i'm doing early next year but for these smaller events you know eventbrite is good they do take a small percentage i think it's five percent of the fees um if you are charging for the event um but i like it because it makes the event seem more official you know, people sign up and, and they get, you know, tickets. And even though I don't require people to to, to bring them, um, and I say that in the description, you don't need to bring your ticket, but it, but they get tickets. You know, how official does that feel? Um, and it's it's something that they're less likely to miss, I feel. You know, on Facebook, it's sort of more casual. Oh, yeah, Pat's holding this event here this day. Maybe I'll go. Maybe maybe I won't. Um, with, with Eventbrite, you can set a, a limit to the number of people who go. So if, you, if you're if you renting out space in a restaurant, you can cap it to that that limit of the space that, that you've uh, rented out um and and it just seems more official yeah pat's event is this day i got a ticket for it um i'm getting email reminders from him which you could do on Eventbrite. so it's a great channel or uh, platform to set up these events for and again it looks more official the the map is there and everything um do i pay for them for the people who attend or do i charge them to come so if this is like at a restaurant or some uh, you know, it doesn't have to be at a restaurant. It could be anywhere. It could be at a museum or it could be at a park. Um, and, you know, it, it, it could be whatever you want it to be. It could be a br- bringer. It could be a potluck style thing. I mean, that would be actually really cool to do one day. Um, but typically what I do is when I go to speak at a city, I hold, I hold a meetup for between 40 and 50 people. Um, it's been growing each time. Um, initially, it was like 20 people. Uh, and and I have it at a restaurant and sometimes I pay for everyone at the end and sometimes I don't and and you you know I say that on the description of these events um, but you know Eventbrite collects the the money and, and it will pay that out to you as well um, what I do now either way I, I always collect five dollars and you'll notice that if you've signed up for any of my meetups I collect five dollars and the reason I do that is because I want people to commit a little bit of money and that money I typically gather and give to a tip to the people who are at the restaurant, the the, the waiter or waitresses. Um, I will give that money as a tip. But the reason I charge $5, whether I end up paying for everyone or not, is because I want people to commit to going. You know, if I say it's free, that that people are more likely to, to, to not come, you know, and, and people who sign up and not come take a space of someone who probably would have come. So that's why I do that. So, so that's, that's how, how I handle the payments and things like that. Um, and, and, you know, as far as budget's concerned, you'll, and, and even setting this up, even before you create the event page, you'll want to find a space, you know, you want to find a space that has a, um, the ability to uh, cater to the number of people that you want. And again, it's totally up to you. And so I typically have, uh, you know, I, ca- I call restaurants and see if they have any private rooms. Um, those are typically better than having, um, you know, sharing a dining room. You know, if they have a private room, that's that's great because it's a separate space. It feels more official and you can have your own little area to mingle and talk about. And it just feels good to have everybody in your community in one space as far, in, instead of like spread out in one giant room or, you know, uh, separate tables all throughout the, the room. You all want to be together in one spot. Um, and you want to ask for a quote for X number of people from that restaurant. And, you know, typically you'll get different menus and sometimes uh, they'll say, oh, for, you, for $20 a person, you get this. For $15 a person, you get this. For $10 a person, you only get this. <clears throat> so again, you'll have to work that out. Depends on which restaurant and or company you go with. Um, but as far as etiquette, is concerned and this is this is one thing i had to learn you know and and it it almost feels like a wedding to be honest and if, if you've ever been married and gone to a wedding um especially one with a large amount of attendees and my wedding was 150 people uh i was bouncing from table to table with my wife you know taking pictures and talking to everyone for a few seconds here and there now when you have a, a meetup and in a couple hours and you're in a room together you're going to get more than a couple seconds with each person of course but you want to make sure that you don't just stick to one or two people the whole time and everybody else who showed, showed up to see you or to hang out because you set it up, um, they don't get a chance to speak to you. You want to make sure everyone gets a chance. Um, 
when people show up, you definitely want to want to greet them and 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 make them feel special for being there and thank them and introduce them to everybody else around there. I think that's really important. Don't just say, "Oh, hey, Joan, thanks for coming. Uh, enjoy yourself." No, hey, Joan, thanks for coming. Hey, have you met Tom? He's in, he's doing this. I, maybe you guys can have some some connection there or something to talk about. And you know, just to make sure that you know nobody's sitting alone. And if I if I ever go to a meetup and I'm talking and I scan the room a little bit and people are sitting sitting alone, I'll typically sit down next to that person. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And now that I say that, a lot of you might want to sit alone to make sure I notice that and spend time with you. But no, I, I'm going to spend time with you no matter what. Um, and I, you know, it takes some practice and it'll take a little bit of feeling what the vibe is like. But you know, you just go around, have fun, and and talk to people and make it just a fun little thing. You know, I I, I never like. Um, you know, I never like go on stage and 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 present anything. It's just it's just a casual meetup, you know. And, and everyone has fun and go around. You know, um, I, I I typically go around to a group of people who are talking and chat with them for a little bit and make sure I uh, try and remember everybody's name and get involved in the conversation that they're in. And then I'll say, "Excuse me, I gotta get, I gotta go and and see what everyone else is up to." And everyone is typically pretty understanding about that. And I'll go to the next group and, and sit down and just come in and 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 do that and go from group to group and that's how it is i mean it's so much fun dana and i would love to get a voicemail back from you in the future after you set up your first meetup um to see how it went uh after after you set one of these up and if you ever come to one of my meetups any of you listening uh i can't wait to see you there i'm actually doing two in st louis coming up in the next couple weeks for uh, FinCon, for the Financial Bloggers Conference. And I'm doing another one in Scottsdale, Arizona with Amy Porterfield uh, that sold out um, just recently. 40 people are coming to that one. Um, oh, and that's another thing. You know, doing a co, co- co-hosting a, uh, or, or, or yeah, co-hosting a meetup with other people in your industry is a great thing to do. You know, I've co-hosted meetups with Chris Ducker, uh, Cliff Ravenscraft, and now I'm doing this one with Amy Porterfield. I mean, if you wanted to split the cost for the restaurant, if that's some, if you, you if you, you both decide to 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 get the bill for the for the group, I mean, it's less cost to each of you, and you each are there and um, helping people out and bringing the communities together. Uh, you know, you should, it's it's awesome. It's awesome. It's such a fun thing to do. I hope those of you who have communities and uh, who are traveling, maybe doing public speaking, you know, that's a great opportunity for you to just meet up with people, and even if it's like two people even if it's one person it's so valuable um and and you know if if you wanted to and i do this often i always ask people that i meet at meetups well what's something i can improve on or what do you think i should do better or what what's some what sort of direction would you like spi to go or you know things like that to tr- try to get as much information i can directly from my community the community who i'm serving to to figure out what i can do to serve them better um, so hopefully Dana and everyone else out there, you take that info and use it to your advantage, man. Now I'm like totally excited for these meetups that are coming up. I, I love doing meetups. Um, anyway, moving on to the next question. This question comes from Shane. Shane, let's hear it. Hey Pat, my name is Shane and I just have a quick question about your lifestyle. If you don't mind sharing, I'm just kind of curious about what your average day looks like, how many hours you spend working, uh, where you work from. Um, if you're able to get the vacations you're hoping to have, um, just so that we can all kind of picture and look forward to uh, the freedom that we're hoping to have given multiple income streams as you uh, show us how to do. Um, That's pretty much it. Thank you for everything you do and look forward to your response. Hey Shane, thank you for the question. And this is something I actually talk about every once in a while. You know, a lot of people ask me, well, what my typical day is like? And I actually have a post up on SPI that goes through a typical day uh, in the life of Pat Flynn, but um, you know things change, and I don't remember exactly when I wrote that, but it was a long time ago. And and in in a, in a work from home environment with two kids, uh, two growing kids, um, those things change. So so I don't mind answering this question again. And I will say even before I start, you know, you you had mentioned you know what you have to look forward to uh, based on my answer, and I would I would just say you know this is this is the way that I want to live. Um, you know, and, and you'll see exactly what sort of motivates me throughout the day. But um, what what it, what motivates you and what would be your perfect day um, is, is, is totally up to you. And so you have to design the lifestyle that you want to live. I don't want anyone to design the sty- lifestyle that I live unless that's something that they want to do too. Um, multiple income streams, passive income, it gives you opportunity to, to customize and be flexible with your lifestyle. Um, t- 
to make it the way that you want or that, that your family and those around you and those who are important to you that you can all want together. So I just wanted to mention that. Now, my typical day, and this is a day where I don't have any upcoming projects to do because when I have an upcoming project, and this is part of this whole process and, uh, and part of my lifestyle, when I have a project due, for instance, um, when I have Breakthrough Blogging was coming out or when Food Trucker was needed to be done, you know, I will spend more time working right leading up to those deadlines. In the normal day, it's working on projects, uh, you know, just chugging along and, and moving forward when I do spend time working during the day. But when those deadlines are coming up, that's when I go full work mode and I will spend, you know, typically, I don't know, 12 hours a day working, but just for short periods of time, perhaps maybe just a week. And it's during those times that it's really important that I'm communicating with the people around me, with my kids, with my wife to let them know about these projects and deadlines that are coming up because it's really important that I put in the work now so that we can reap the benefits later. And that's when, that's the cue for my wife and my kids to know, or mostly my wife, to know that she's going to be spending a little bit more time with the kids. And that's why I love my wife and she's amazing because she fully supports me. And although she's a work-at-home mom, um, she has the hardest job in the world and not only does she take care of the kids, but she is very adaptable to what I need to do for the business as well. So I just wanted to mention that. But a typical day, a typical day is, um, you know, and now my son's at the point where he's waking up before me or before my wife too and crawling into our bed and waking us up. So that's really what starts the day. My son will wake up and open the door and crawl into bed and say, Daddy, Daddy, I want breakfast. And so he'll wake me up and go down. I, I let my wife sleep in. Again, like I said, she deserves that because she stays up late after the kids are asleep and gets her work done, which is work done around the house. For me, uh, when the kids go to sleep around 8.30 p.m. at night, that's when I start my work. So you'll see during this sort of daily uh, schedule, again, for a regular day, that I don't actually start my real work until the evening when the kids are asleep. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so... I'll wake up with the kids, I'll cook them breakfast. Um, you know, my daughter now is at the point where she's eating regular food now too, not baby food anymore. So I can cook a breakfast for both kids and feed a little bit to my daughter, feed a little bit to my son, feed a little bit to myself. We typically play in the playroom or we read or we we build forts or, you know, all this fun stuff, whatever my son wants to do, uh, we do. Sometimes we'll watch a little bit of TV. There's some shows on uh, the Disney channel that I love, like Octonauts and um, <laughs> Octonauts and uh, Special Agent Oso and other ones that I enjoy because not only are they actually fun for uh, for Kaoni and they're very educational, but, you know, they're actually pretty entertaining for me as well and i'm a big kid too so i like watching disney jr um <clears throat> sophia the first isn't actually that bad either even though it's it's typically for girls it's actually a good show anyway so after that you know i uh my wife will wake up around 9 30 or 10 and we'll all hang out together as a family i'll cook lunch um or we'll go out to lunch sometimes and then around 1 p.m is when my wife starts to get into putting the kids into nap mode and that's when i start to get into afternoon work mode and i'm putting air quotes there because it's not really work work but it's the work that i can only do in the afternoon typically they are things like interviews and uh you know anything that involves other people because i don't want to have to um interact with people who i, I need to talk to or, or if i get on the phone i don't want to have to do that after the kids go to sleep because that's really late so I, I save those things the things that i can only do during the day between the sort of 1 and 3 p.m. time period. And so that'll do a little bit of work then. Uh, a lot of times you'll see me on social media around that time if you were on Twitter and Facebook because that's when I do that. And then <clears throat> if I have any spare time, that's when I get into my email inbox too just to sort of start to get into work mode and start to do stuff related to work to get ready for the evening. But after the 3 p.m. period, that's uh, when we get together as a family again and we either go somewhere or we, do, we get any sort of groceries done. You know, that's a perfect time of day if you're working from home uh, to, to get stuff done in your community because everybody's typically at work and there is no uh, challenge getting a parking spot. There's no lines at Target. You know, it's perfect. And so I'll save a lot of time that way instead of doing those things on the weekend. Um, <clears throat> Man, my uh, voice is starting to go here. Uh, I'll, I'll probably try to answer one or two more questions just, just to make sure I get through as many as I can because we're already at the 38-minute mark exactly. But, <clears throat> gosh, sorry. 
but after that, we'll have dinner together. I, 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 I'm trying to work toward cooking more dinners at home instead of going out to dinner uh, to, to not only save money, but it's just healthier that way. Um, and even even though I will end up spending a little bit more money on healthy foods at the grocery store, uh, it's it's worth it to me to, to cook dinners at home and to be together around the, the, the dining table together as a family now that we're all almost old enough to do that now. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, then, okay, fast forwarding down to when the kids go down, uh, you know, we'll read them books to bed. And then that's when I get into work mode. And I know during the day, sort of the first things I want to do when I get into work mode. And I I love this schedule because at night, the kids are asleep, no distractions. I close the door to my office and my brain just knows to go right into work mode. And it's, it's super productive during that time between the hours of 8.30 p.m. and about 1 a.m. And I'll take breaks every hour for 15 minutes. I'll talk to my wife and see how she's doing and help out around the house if I have to. Um, a lot of times I love to do the dishes because I don't know if you remember from a previous podcast episode, a strategy that has worked out really well for me is doing the dishes before getting into work mode. And so a lot of times after I put the kids down to sleep, I'll go do the dishes and then go to work. And it works really well as a transition between sort of personal life and work life. And I actually shared that strategy in a recent podcast episode. And I've gotten a number of tweets and emails from people who have said, wow, I thought that was the dumbest idea I ever heard, but it is the best idea I've ever done. And so go try that out for yourself if you you haven't already or if you thought that was stupid when you heard it. Before you start work, get the dishes done, it's going to put you in that mode of actually getting things finished and getting something off of your, your list that you had to do already. And you're going to be thinking while doing dishes because it's a mindless thing to do. You know, you put soap on your sponge and scrub. You'll start to think a little bit early before you get into work mode of what the first things you're going to do when you get into work mode. And so it works really well for being extremely productive. And I find it's a great way to just get into work mode and, and keep keep moving forward. Um, and, 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 uh, you know, um, that, that's my daily schedule. So I know I probably talked a little bit too long about that, but, um, that's, that's what it's like. And that's the way life is now when the kids go to school in a couple of years, uh, that it's going to change. And so I'll just have to adapt. And that's part of what being an entrepreneur is all about. And working from home is just being able to adapt to the situations around you and, and use the things that happen to you to your advantage. So, uh, that's really what it's all about. So great question, Shane. Thank you. And I hope, <coughs> oh man, I hope that was insightful for everybody. I'm going to take a break really quick just so I can get my voice back and I'll be right back. All right, I'm back. And um, all I can say is at least I don't have the hiccups anymore. Man, that was scary. Uh, but anyway, this is going to be the last question because I feel my voice going and I do want to make sure I get this episode out this week for you. This is a question from Miranda and it's a great one about being everywhere. As uh, a lot of you know, I have a, a, a marketing strategy that has been titled Be Everywhere, meaning you got to uh, be not only just promoting and publishing stuff on your website, but you should also have other external content platforms where you can reach larger audiences and together as a whole, all these content platforms will lift your brand to become a higher authority level. Um, More specifically, having something like what Dana was talking about earlier, not only just a blog, but a podcast and a website. And there are other uh, means of doing that, of course, you know, Amazon books and traditional books and um, webinars and things like that, but you know, being everywhere. And so this is Miranda's question about being everywhere. Hi, Pat. I'm Miranda O'Husky, and I'm in the process of relaunching my blog and brand at MirandaOhusky.com. My last name is spelled O-C-H-O-C-K-I. On your podcast, you often tell us listeners that we should be everywhere because each different place will reach a different audience. What I'm wondering is how do we be everywhere without being repetitive? Is it okay to post similar but not exact content from a blog onto the different mediums, Or does each one need to be unique? And how unique is unique? Thanks for your help, Pat. Hey, Miranda, thank you so much for the question. And uh, best of luck to you on the rebranding of what you got going on there. Now, as far as uniqueness across all the different platforms that you have, I I think it's important that, that they're each pretty unique. You know, 
they don't have to be 100% unique. I think it's okay to talk about the same topics and the same ideas and perhaps even have uh, a lot of the same messages and, 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 and strategies and tips on the different platforms. However, I would recommend, I, I would recommend against having the exact same content on the different platforms. And the most common form that this is done in the Be Everywhere strategy is having a video done, taking the audio from that video, putting it into a podcast and taking the transcript of that podcast or video and putting that into a blog post, meaning all three of those components, blog, podcast, and video are all exactly the same content. They just are delivered in different mediums. Now that is a, it's a strategy that a lot of people use. And it's a great way to put yourself on those different platforms. But I like to, to see the Be Everywhere strategy used in, a, in an authoritative manner, not as a content production manner, you know, and you know, the, yes, you are producing content on each of those different platforms, but you're producing unique content so that in whole, your brand raises an authority level. I feel like if people see that you're publishing the same content on, the, on all these three different platforms, you know, that, that there's no benefit to going across to each of these different platforms. And yes, you'll have a few people in your audience who will only stick to one, which is why it's important to be everywhere, because there are some people that only read there are some people that only view and there are some people that only listen. But there are also people out there who will read, watch, and listen. And it's important for those people who will potentially become your super fans, who can really, really increase your reach, who will become customers for life and those types of things. It's really important for them that they're getting value, different value from these different places that you have, these different platforms in your Be Everywhere strategy. But again, like I said, they don't, it doesn't have to be 100% unique. And a good example of this is, is something that I did fairly, fairly recently is I had uh, my buddy Clay Collins from Lead Pages on the podcast. And that to date has been the most commented on podcast, almost 800 comments on that particular podcast episode. I'll have it in the show notes if you haven't listened to it. But not only did I have Clay on the podcast, but I had Clay on a webinar uh, a couple weeks later, and we not we, some of the stuff overlapped, and we had mentioned that during the webinar. And it's important to do that, to be honest and upfront, just so people don't think that it's, you're just rehashing the same information. But we sort of enhanced it. We added more information beyond what was in the podcast because we had a little bit more time. <clears throat> Excuse me, but we were able to show people what we talked about in the podcast. So if you think about it that way, that each of these platforms have different sort of capabilities to help your audience and serve your audience, um, you might be able to better create unique content for each of them. So I like to use the podcast, for example, to conduct interviews. I don't do interviews very often via video, and I hardly ever do interviews via text. I love the interview process via audio because it's really easy for people on the other end to do it. Uh, it's, it's really hard to get good quality audio on the other end, or uh, excuse me, it's really hard to get good quality video on the other end and have everything match up and, you know, it, it, it's just a mess sometimes. Um, and plus the emails, you know, email interviews and things like that, it just seems a little bit informal and um, you can never really get the right answers because you can't follow up with the questions that people answer through email. So that's why I like podcasts for audio interviews, although I do solo shows like this. Um, and, 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 you know, there's something about the power of the voice, of course, and we've talked about that in the past. But <clears throat> think about video. If you're teaching somebody something, how to do something, a tutorial to how to use a particular piece of software, or maybe you're a mechanic and you're showing people how to install something in your car, um, that's hard. I mean, you could do that via text on your blog, and you could do that, I mean, I guess you could do that via audio, but it, audio, obviously, it'd be very difficult to follow. With text, it could be easier to follow, but video, it's just boom, right there. Do this, do this, here it is. And so that that's the approach I take with my different platforms. Each of them is used for specific different reasons. A lot of times, most of my videos are either replays of webinars, um, public speaking presentations, or tutorials to use how, uh, to how to use different pieces of software, and that's it. My podcasts are for solo shows that don't necessarily involve step-by-step -step processes where people need to see and interviews. 
and then my blog is for you know a lot of other things and you know a lot of the smaller topics perhaps that aren't that don't lend itself to video or audio or things that would just make sense to be completely uh, text um, you know epic posts in that sort where sometimes I combine all three and so I hope that answers your question Miranda and for those of you out there who are implementing the be everywhere strategy I mean another person to look at is Derek Halpern he's implementing the be everywhere strategy very very well probably better than I am right now he has his blog where he has his content that he usually produces but he has his social triggers insider his podcast where he specifically brings on guests he had Mark Echo on his show recently I mean that's those are these are huge names I mean imagine a Mark Echo uh, email interview i mean those email interviews though they don't do much for me you know the, those text interviews but a audio interview where i can listen to him i mean that that was awesome and then not only does he have those social trigger insider podcast episodes but he has his videos which he's killing it on as well and if you haven't seen some of the recent videos that uh <clears throat> derek has done on social triggers they're really good. And he obviously has a very, very unique style to what he does and what he teaches. I mean, he's from New York, but um, no offense to anyone in New York. I love New York. My dad's from New York, so you know, I'm not hating on you at all. But that's just his particular style is that very New Yorker uh, attitude. And uh, I love it. I love it. His content is fantastic, and, and, and I'm eating it up, and I hope you will too. Um, so he's putting different pieces of content onto these different platforms for things that lend itself to those specific platforms. So hopefully that makes sense. I'm at the 50 minute mark now. So Miranda, thank you for the questions. Thank you everyone else who asked the questions. And I apologize for, to those of you who have sent voicemails who I haven't been able to get back to yet. I am in the process of slowly answering these questions via the podcast and individually. So hopefully if, if I can get to you, if not, I apologize. But you know, my email and my contact form is always there for you if it's an emergency. And uh, yeah, just thank you guys for listening. I apologize for the coughing and all that stuff but you know i really wanted to get this out to you i'm trying really hard to stick to this weekly podcast episode because i know how much it means to a lot of you out there and it means a lot to me out there to know that it means a lot to you out there if that makes sense um a lot of meetups coming up if i'm going to see you in the near future i cannot wait if i'm going to see you at financial bloggers conference i I, i'm just so excited to do that opening keynote presentation for you i've been preparing like mad for it uh and of course i'm going to be at nmx in january new media expo and i'm really excited about that one too i got some things up my sleeve for that one so if you're going to come watch my presentation and uh, yeah, just love you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for helping get the SPI podcast past 1000 five star reviews. You guys are amazing. If you haven't heard the end of episode 82 yet, I want you to take that challenge. I want you to take that challenge. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to the previous episode, episode 82. Keep listening all the way to the end. I have a challenge for you that is going to change how you run your business and uh, how you can serve your audience. So thank you so much. Here comes the outro music. I appreciate you. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point. So I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John, who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure, and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.